Welcome, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Brief Encounters, a new podcast from the DC Bar Communities Podcast Network. My name is Jess Harris, and I will be your host for today. In today's episode, you'll hear from Jeffrey Goodale and Tatiana Sullivan. Jeff and Tatiana have two upcoming webinars with the DC Bar Communities Office on April 28th and May 26th, and they're going to give you a sneak peek today into those upcoming programs. Jeffrey Goodale is a partner in the firm of Dwayne Morris, LLP. For over 18 years, he has assisted U.S. and non-U.S. clients of all sizes develop and implement strategies to accomplish their international business goals. He possesses considerable experience on a wide range of matters relating to international mergers and acquisitions, including ones involving CFIUS. In addition, he regularly assists clients on matters involving export controls, economic sanctions, import compliance, cybersecurity, and intellectual property rights protection. Jeff is the co-chair of the D.C. Bar International Law Community's International Trade Committee, and he is also the co-chair of the National Security Committee of the ABA's International Law Section. In addition, Jeff currently serves as the vice chair of the Business and Trade Division of the ABA's Intellectual Property Law Section and as chair of the Virginia State Bar's International Practice Section. Tatiana Sullivan is an associate in the National Security Practice at Strook & Strook & Lavin LLP. Prior to joining Strook, Tatiana spent five years at the Department of Defense working on CFIUS and export control matters. As the Associate Director for CFIUS Operations and Regulatory Affairs at the Department of Defense, Tatiana served as the department lead on firm negotiations and regulatory implementation. Prior to working at the Department of Defense, Tatiana held several positions in various federal agencies and international bodies to include the WTO and U.S. Congress focused on international trade law and policy. So thank you both so much for joining me today. And we're just going to get started with a quick overview of CFIUS. Um, Jeff, could you tell our listeners about the history and purpose of CFIUS? Sure, Jeff. So the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, or CFIUS as it's commonly referred to, was initially created pursuant to an executive order that President Ford issued in 1975, in which he made the Secretary of the Treasury to be the chairman of the committee. Uh, Subsequently, CFIUS was revised in its scope and purpose several times in the 1980s and then in the early 2000s. In the 1980s, the Exxon Florio provision was implemented, which gave CFIUS considerably more authority to review foreign direct investment in the United States and to make recommendations to the president as to whether to block, suspend, or unwind transactions that threaten U.S. national security. Uh, Then subsequently, in 2007, CFIUS was again revised pursuant to the Foreign Investment and National Security Act of 2007, or FINSA, as it's commonly referred to. Uh, Most recently, it's been revised pursuant to the Foreign Investment Risk Remodernization Act of 2018. But currently, CFIUS is comprised of the following voting members. Department of Treasury, the Department of Justice, the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Commerce, the Department of Defense, the Department of State, the Department of Energy, the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative, and the Office of Science and Technology Policy. And as was the case with the original executive order that was passed by President Ford that was subsequently codified pursuant to FINSA in 2007, the Secretary of the Treasury serves as the chair of CFIUS. 
In addition to the voting members, there are also several other entities within the federal government that observe and or participate in the CFIUS process. Those include, among others, the Office of Management and Budget, the Council of Economic Advisors, the National Security Council, the National Economic Council, and the Homeland Security Council. Uh, CFIUS essentially reviews two types of transactions. Uh, the first type of transactions involve acquisitions of control of U.S. businesses by foreign persons or U.S. companies. And then the second, pursuant to FORMA, authorizes CFIUS to review four additional types of transactions, including certain real estate-related transactions, certain other foreign investments in U.S. businesses that have flawed foreign persons, access to material non-public technical information in the possession of the U.S. business, membership on the board of directors, or any other involvement in substantive decision-making. A third transaction is any change in an existing foreign investor's rights that result in foreign control of U.S. business or another investment in certain U.S. businesses. And finally, any other transaction that's designated to circumvent CFIUS jurisdiction. Uh, prior to FIRMA, the CFIUS would review transactions either based upon voluntary submissions that were submitted by the parties to the transactions or by sua sponte conducting an investigation on its own of a transaction that it became aware of. Uh, FIRMA changed things a little bit, and I believe that Tatiana will be discussing that during the next segment of this podcast. So with that, let me turn it back over to you, Jess. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Tatiana, could you provide some background on FIRMA? Sure. So FIRMA is the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act of 2018. It was passed within the National Defense Authorization Act for 2019 and is uh, closely referred to as FIRMA. Um, as I think you could hear from, from Jeff's answer on the history of CFIUS, um, CFIUS has been upgraded a number of times throughout its history, uh, notably in response to various national security risks that have emerged um, where the existing authorities were not adequate. And that's, that's really what CFIUS is about. CFIUS is a second line of defense where there's no adequate or alternative authorities to address the national security concerns that have been identified. And when FIRMA came about, um, that was really a response to sort of the shift towards a great power competition where CFIUS felt that um, certain non-controlling investments and real estate transactions could create the same national security risks um, as some of the traditional CFIUS uh, transactions, but it could not be addressed by any of these authorities. So CFIUS went back to Congress for, for a next upgrade. And um, as part of that process, Congress sort of split the response between um, CFIUS through FIRMA and export controls through the Export Control Reform Act of 2018. And so Together, both of those uh, new authorities are, are meant to address some of the, the problems and national security concerns they've seen come out of the great power competition. Uh, FIRMA provides CFIUS a couple of key upgrades, um, some of which Jeff touched upon a little bit in, in when he was speaking. Now, the first main um, expansion, I would say, is that FIRMA provides CFIUS the ability to review certain non-controlling investments in um, a specified set of U.S. businesses called TID U.S. businesses. These are businesses um, related technology, critical infrastructure, and, and data businesses um, where previously CFIUS would only be able to review controlling investments into these things. The second um, main upgrade is that CFIUS, FIRMA provides CFIUS with a 
uh, declaration process. The declaration process is a short form filing compared to the long form voluntary filing that um, CFIUS had typically collected. This allows the CFIUS to triage between um, different filings and focus their resources on those that are more concerning or more complicated. Um, further, Sperma provides um, uh, CFIUS the ability to collect filing fees. Um, so one of the, um, a couple of uh, concerns that they had was um, CFIUS's ability to keep up with personnel to handle um, an increasing volume of CFIUS filings. And so by being able to collect fi uh, filing fees, um, CFIUS's will be adequately resources, resourced to um, um, handle all of the additional filings that may come out of FIRMA. Uh, fourth, they, FIRMA provides CFIUS the ability to review real estate transactions. So before, in order to review a real estate transaction in proximity to a specified uh, military installation, um, it, CFIUS could only do that when there was an investment, a controlling investment in that U.S. business. But the same foreign person could buy the parking lot next door and not uh, be covered under CFIUS, but potentially pre present the same national security concerns. So FIRMA really closes that gap um, for, for specified uh, military installations. And then look, there's a couple of process updates. Um, CFIUS got a little bit extra time to review some of the transactions. FIRMA allows um, a little more flexibility in being able to coordinate with um, allies and partners, um, especially when uh, some of the transactions that are coming before CFIUS have international implications as well as domestic. And so there's a couple of things that I think FIRMA fixes for the CFIUS process as well as um, gives it new tools to address some of the national security concerns that have been emerging out of this new shift to great power competition. Great. And uh, what were some of the initial actions taken to implement FIRMA? Well, the Treasury Department in October of 2018 issued two sets of interim regulations to start implementing FIRMA. One set of regulations was largely administrative in nature to modify the existing TIFIUS regulations to reflect certain changes that were mandated to take immediate effect pursuant to FIRMA. The other set of regulations pertain to a new pilot program that CFIUS established to pertain to non-controlling foreign investments in critical technology companies. Under this second set of regulations, there were certain criteria that were required to be satisfied in order for a proposed transaction to be subject to the pilot program and to the pilot program's mandatory declaration filing requirement, which was a new requirement. Uh, to begin with, the proposed transaction had to involve a target industry, and target industries included any one of 27 designated pilot program industries that were established CFIUS pursuant to this set of interim regulations. The 27 pilot program industries are organized by NAICS codes, and they relate to a wide range of things, everything from aircraft manufacturing to electronic computer manufacturing to petrochemical manufacturing to research and development and nanotechnology 
to research and development, biotechnology, zipper, nanobiotechnology, semiconductor, machinery manufacturing, and radio and television broadcasting and wireless communications equipment manufacturing, among other things. So if the proposed transaction involved a target industry, the second requirement was that the U.S. business that was the subject of the acquisition had to be what is known as a pilot program U.S. business, meaning that the U.S. business produced, designed, tested, manufactured, fabricated, or developed critical technology to be used in conjunction with the company's activities in one or more of the pilot program industries or that was designed by the U.S. business specifically for use in one of the more of the pilot program industries. Significantly, critical technologies were defined to include a wide range of things, including military technologies subject to the international traffic and arms regulations, civilian and military dual-use technologies subject to the export administration regulations that were controlled for certain reasons, including relating to multilateral regimes, relating to national security, chemical and biological weapons proliferation, nuclear arms proliferation, or missile technology. In addition, another key category of critical technologies were emerging and foundational technologies that are controlled pursuant to PERMA's companion legislation, the Export Control Reform Act of 2018 that Tatiana discussed earlier. Uh, so if those requirements were satisfied, then the entities were generally required to file a mandatory declaration submission with CFIUS. Uh, this was a new requirement. Previously, all submissions to CFIUS had been voluntary, and now, pursuant to the pilot program, if the criteria were met for target business and target industries, then a mandatory declaration would need to be filed. Uh, as a result of a final rule that was implemented and enacted in 2020, uh, the pilot program has been modified somewhat, but that provides a good overview of what the pilot program was like. Could you discuss the firma-related final rule pertaining to certain real estate transactions that was published in January 2020? Sure. So firma uh, provides, as I mentioned, um, new authority to review certain real estate transactions. These are uh, real estate transactions that provide a foreign person with a specified set of property rights um, within covered real estate. The Covered real estate refers to both real estate within airport or maritime ports and or with, within a certain proximity to sensitive government installations. The rules that came out in January 2020 implementing these new authorities provides a lot of specificity for investors trying to figure out whether or not their real estate transactions fall within this new jurisdiction. Uh, for example, the airport and maritime ports refer to a specified a uh, list that's maintained by the Department of Treasury and uh, provides investors the ability to review whether or not they fall within within the new jurisdiction, as well as providing investors with a specified list of military installations um, in which covered real estate could be in proximity to. The published list um, identifies four categories of military installations. These are military installations that are protected by a proximity range of one mile, military installations that are protected by a proximity range of 100 miles, and certain offshore military installations 
which would include some some of the offshore uh, wind turbines and other activities um, within the continental shelf of the United States. And again, what CFIUS was hoping to, to address is the idea that co-location and proximity could provide a foreign adversary the ability to collect or otherwise observe uh, national security activities that could harm the national security of the United States. And so that's what they will be looking for. All of these transactions are, are voluntary transactions, but I will note that CFIUS has the ability to pull in, to pull in a transaction into a review if uh, one is not voluntarily filed, and that could have some implications if they do that after a transaction closes. So when foreign investors are thinking about filing with CFIUS, they really have to take a look at the both whether or not it falls within the CFIUS, new CFIUS jurisdiction, as well as what the national security concerns might be with respect to that transaction. Jeff, there was another FIRMA-related final rule that was issued in January 2020 relating to certain transactions involving critical technology, critical infrastructure, or sensitive personal data. Can you talk a little bit about that? As Tatiana mentioned, one of the final rules that was issued in January of this year pertained to the real estate-related provisions in the FIRMA. The other final rule pertained to certain transactions involving critical technology, critical infrastructure, or sensitive personal data, what are commonly referred to as TID transactions in the regulations. As a result of this final rule, um, certain changes were made to the mandatory declaration requirement. As was the case with the pilot program, the requirement pertains to two categories of foreign investments that do not result in the control of the U.S. business. Uh, the first involves transactions that had been covered under the pilot program relating to certain investments in a TID U.S. business, and the second involved transactions that result in the acquisition of a substantial interest in a TID U.S. business by a foreign person in which a foreign government has a substantial interest. Uh, in both cases, a TID U.S. business is defined to be a U.S. business that is engaged in specific activities involving critical technologies, critical infrastructure, or that maintains or collects sensitive personal data of U.S. citizens. Significantly, the final rule broadened exemptions for certain transactions that would otherwise be subject to the two mandatory declaration requirements. These exemptions relate to accepted investors, entities with mitigation already in place to address foreign ownership control or influence, foci concerns, or transactions involving certain encryption technology, as well as investments funds managed exclusively by and ultimately controlled by U.S. nationals. The final rule identifies three countries as being accepted foreign states, Australia, Canada, and the U.K. The final rule clarifies that these three countries are only temporarily in the status of an accepted foreign state and that at the end of a two-year period, the Treasury Department must make a determination that they should continue to qualify to be accepted foreign states. Uh, significantly, the final rule liberalizes what qualifies as an accepted investor as compared to the proposed rule that had been issued in September of last year. First, the board member nationality criterion is revised to allow up to 25% representation by nationals of foreign states that are not accepted foreign states. Second, the percentage ownership limit is revised from 5% to 10% for individual investors in an accepted investor who is not affiliated 
in any of the manners described with an accepted foreign state. And third, the definition of minimum accepted ownership is revised by reducing the minimum accepted ownership percentage from 90% to 80%. The final rule also makes new provisions relating to sensitive personal data and material non-public technical information. First, the final rule focuses the definition on genetic tests as that term is defined in the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act of 2008, or GINA as it's commonly known, and second, by limiting the coverage of the rule to identifiable data. To account for databases commonly used in research, the rule also carves out genetic testing data that's derived from databases maintained by the U.S. government and routinely provided to private parties for purposes of research. Finally, the of significance, the final rule continues what had been set forth in the proposed rule with respect to substantial interest. Uh, specifically, the final rule sets forth that the threshold for definition of substantial interest is dependent upon a substantial interest test. And the final rule revises the definition of substantial interest in situation where the foreign entity operates with a general partner or managing partner or similar structure. In such cases, only a foreign government's interest in the general partner equivalent will be considered, and any interest in limited partners or non-managing members will be disregarded. This provides clarity to the parties in the investment fund contest, focusing the substantial interest analysis on the entity that is typically responsible for the day-to-day decision-making regarding the investment fund. Additionally, the final rule clarifies that references to a substantial interest of a foreign government applies to both national and subnational governments of a particular foreign country, including their respective departments, agencies, and instrumentalities. The final rule also excludes governments of accepted foreign states in order to better harmonize the application of the two mandatory filing requirements that I previously discussed. And so those are some of the key aspects of the final rule relating to TID transactions. So how can our listeners learn more about CFIUS and those new FIRMA-related final rules? I'm glad you asked that, Jess. In fact, the DC Bar is going to hold a two-part series called Buyer and Seller Beware. New regulations expand the scope and powers of CFIUS over FDI deals. The first program, which will be a remote-only participation webinar because of the COVID-19 pandemic, will be held on April 28th from 12.30 p.m. to 2 p.m. It'll be a webinar that people can participate in throughout the D.C. area and around the world. I will serve as the moderator for the program. And in addition, we have practitioners who have decades of experience with CFIUS-related matters, as well as a CFIUS staff member. So we should uh, be focusing on the TID transactions-related final rule during that part one program. And so people interested in learning more about the TID-related final rule that have been implemented effective February 13th of this year should definitely sign up for and participate in that webinar. And let me turn it over to Tatiana to tell us a little bit more about the part two program in the series. Sure. So if you're interested in hearing more about the covered real estate transactions and CFIUS's jurisdiction there, um, we'll be hosting a second uh, program on May 26th with a similar format to the April 28th. We'll have a mix of folks from 
the regulatory side in government, as well as the national security side from the Department of Defense joining us for that discussion. Jeff and Tatiana, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Uh, to all of our listeners, I'll put those registration links to the two upcoming webinars in the description, and you should definitely check those out if you want to get a more in-depth look at these topics.